I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. Scotland is steeped in musical history, and it still holds a global reputation for pushing the boundaries in many aspects of the arts. Its rich heritage of traditional music through to cutting-edge contemporary compositions, its legacy in pop music and its diversity of performers, all of these often jolt the music scene in different directions. And part of this thinking outside of the box approach has been truly embraced by my guest today, Nicola Benedetti. And we all know Nicola as an award-winning, exceptional concert violinist with a huge international career. But she's also proving to be a real tour de force in advocating through the formation of the Benedetti Foundation that all young people are given the chance to participate in music making and that teachers are made available to them, teachers are valued, and that they too are encouraged to push their boundaries. So a real Benedetti community has been formed. Nikki, thank you so much for spending this time. I know that, you know, even in this lockdown period, you've been extraordinarily busy. But I have to ask, these past few months have been, you know, an extraordinary time for all of us globally. And how has it been for you? Uh, First of all, um, just thank you so much for having me. It's such an honour for me to chat with you. Um, you know, just really, I'm very grateful. (laughs) Um, I have had a very mixed experience as I think most people will have done. Um, there's a sort of parallel universe, one that's very personal and one that is extremely global and that we're all living in the experience of masses of people together. And of course, if there is a thing that hits the world simultaneously in a strange way and for all the wrong reasons, it does bring people together. And it's been beautiful to see where that has happened. It's been heartbreaking to see the um, the opportunists using this time for, for doing what they do best and uh, capitalising on people's suffering. And uh, I think for for all musicians, uh, it's been undeniable that uh, obviously so many industries have been hit horrifically and so many people have lost their jobs and people will continue to lose their jobs. But for us, um, it's sort of it's sort of a hit on every single possible level. Um, Obviously, our soul sense of worth as as a musician is in order to communicate and send out sound into a room and people feel a certain way from it and you create a feeling and uh, that has a sort of uh, a a cycle of of the passing of energy through sound and through music and for me I think I I don't know how you felt I I, I have been traveling and performing and playing so much since I was uh, probably too young to have started doing so much of that and um I was really okay personally with taking a bit of time to be still and to be in one place and for me to be doing you know the washing and cooking three meals a day was uh, hugely pleasurable and I loved that part Um, but over the last couple of weeks I've been playing again with orchestras and four people and 
um, it's it's been quite a shocking feeling um, and it's not un- until I returned to it I think did I realize how much I, m- I was missing it. That's really interesting and I absolutely understand what you're saying about being thrust into almost a, a life of routine because I can't remember routine like it since I was at school or something, you know, where you knew exactly what you were doing from nine to five and then in the evening. And as you say, I mean, someone like yourself who's just traveling constantly, dealing with the tif- different time zones, different groups of people and so on. It's it's a never ending sort of journey. But to then suddenly, as you say, just stop still and, and to be able to do and to observe things like cooking or cleaning and doing your own washing up and 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 whatever is is actually quite extraordinary it's it's a much needed thing that we we really treasure and I suppose it's a it's a form of listening to our own body because you know as you've expressed to then go back to playing but I mean I watched your uh, just brilliant performances with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and also the last night of the proms, both of them. And, you know, both were actually very uh, moving experiences. They would have been, even if the hall was, was, uh, you you know, full, completely full with, with the audience there. But it was extraordinary how, in a way, I find myself listening quite differently and although I wasn't there in the hall, and I don't normally watch music via the television, but I did in this instance. And it was a very, very interesting experience. And I wondered, you know, how it really was for you all, how you rehearsed together. Did you rehearse at the Albert Hall? Um, did you discuss what what might happen in that performance without an audience? And, and funnily enough, I, I had just read an article um, about Stephen Huff, the great pianist, and he was saying that, you know, to perform to the TV cameras is one thing. To perform to an audience is a completely different sensation. To, per, to, to perform in a recording studio is something else again. You know, there are three very, very different kind of elements. And of course, you had all of that, mm. but yet no audience. And so I'm just, you, you know, mm. trying mm. To, to find out what, what did it feel like? How was the listening different? Mm. Um, before answering that, I just want to quickly say on your first point of the, the observing of doing routine things like around the house and um, I just think it's such a beautiful way to put it because I did find myself acutely aware of things that should just feel somewhat normal and and in a sort of state of like analyzing the experience that I was having and I think so many people have readdressed their relationship to fundamentally the, the point of our life the point of our existence and and is routine building a home, looking after a home, uh, a, a much more localized feel. I think uh, I think for so many musicians, it's almost like that's connected in some way to um, not, not an idea of failure, but we're always pushed to chase after a life that is nothing like that. And um, it was after after a couple of weeks, something of a sort of cleansing readdressing of 
of the relationship to all those things. I just, I just loved how you said, you know, the observing of that. And I just wanted to, to pick up on that and elaborate on it a, a little bit. Um, but I will go, go on to the, um, the other question. <laughs> um, well, well what, what you've just said there, interestingly, um, and yes, we will deal with the other part of the next question, but what you've just said has ignited the, the, the sort of um, observation, here we go again, um, of, you know, do you think that this, period of being at home and and doing uh, wonderfully normal things, do you think that might impact on the balance you have between being this globe-trotting musician uh, to just having, which I'm sure you do already, but having that control or that sort of feeling that actually I can say no and I do like being at home and I can perhaps think of a balance but of course maybe you do have that already uh no I think I I, I have it sometimes but there's me- too many times in the year when when I don't and uh I think I think there's two things I think one what I felt going back into doing things I mean we did a short tour last week which was it was like five different performances in different areas and and um i did feel a renewed excitement about all of the things that would have been like oh this again you know the kind of getting in the car and driving and then the getting ready for the concert and the whole backstage thing and there was a renewed excitement that i think will probably last for quite a while given how long i've not been doing it but um i do also think it's just such a peace of mind to realize that without all the things you're accustomed to you're absolutely fine and you're going to be fine and that um there's there isn't uh, you divorce from that rat race mentality of got to include this and got to do that and i'm yeah i'm sure i know you know that that feeling um absolutely of just like the amount of yes and i think what's really interesting though is that this whole journey that we're experiencing with covid19 in a way has allowed us to connect. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I can go for months and months without really speaking to my fellow colleagues, mm, you know, absolutely. other than the orchestras I happen to be with at the time. But um, to, to really almost compare notes, you know, and in, in, excuse the pun, but, but to really talk about the situation, what does it mean by looking at a diary that is virtually empty? You know, it's it's got bits and pieces, but you just don't know what the landscape really is going to be like long term yeah. and i think communally we've 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 come together through technology um in in quite a a different way and it's no longer about me 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 and i'm pushing this or i'm promoting that or i you know it's much more well what does being a musician really mean mm. in the bigger picture and i think going back to the two performances recently on television um, that you did, it, it it kind of really tapped into, my gosh, you know, what does music mean? And this is this is amazing. And interestingly, you know, as part of the, the, the team here, there's a wonderful group of volunteers who come in and the proms are absolutely paramount to their whole summer existence you know that that yeah. is almost like a medicine for them they see it's a very important part of their lives and not to be able to get there has created quite a big impact on them you know mentally mm. and uh and so yes it was just the power of 
seeing the musicians come together, seeing the beautiful, beautiful playing that you gave us. Mm. And it just really ignited that, that core question, well, who am I? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What impact does it have? And everything that you stand for, and certainly now with the foundation, mm. it's that core, core connection. It's about building bridges. Yeah. And that's what I find so powerful with those performances. Um, well, I'm, I am so touched that your your reaction was, was visceral in that way. And, um, uh, and, and to your previous question about the experience of putting together those performances, but also to what Stephen Huff said about the differences between performing for microphones, for cameras, for an audience. Um, the singer that I shared the uh, last night of the problems with, Golda Schultz, um, she and I had quite a lengthy conversation about that, uh, which was a very real and honest conversation. And it's not to say that all performers would agree with this. Some people just play how they play and that is how they play and their environment or how they are being perceived doesn't really impact what they do i wish i was more like that but i'm really not i'm like hyper aware and sensitive of every change and circumstance that surrounds me and um what i then found was that to know you're playing so directly to people in that moment but that it's all communicated through microphones and cameras um, was like a very serene, calm, genuine experience. And it was actually a lot less bombardment for me. Um, like I, I, I find that I can get quite overwhelmed with a packed hall knowing that it's broadcast live on radio and on television. And it's not that I'm thinking about that at all when I'm on stage, but um, I, I find that it's a lot of avenues through which you're trying to express. And fundamentally, you're trying to say most of what you're saying through sound. And, uh, and I mean, that sounds obvious, but, but through how you're producing sound and what kind of sound. And... The Royal Albert Hall is a huge place and you want somebody at the back to hear you, but a mic that's, you know, half a metre away from you um, is, is picking up on every detail, even if you would whisper it. So how do you reconcile those things and do it successfully? And and yeah, so so I, I actually found the experience of knowing I was absolutely playing for people. It's not like it was a private experience that I was having but that my communication with them was through the intimacy of cameras and mics where you know everything you're doing is, is almost, it's, it's uh, magnified because those apparatus are picking you up so, so intimately, much more so than, than an audience sitting far away. Um, and I found it particularly for The Lark Ascending because it's so delicate and uh, it, it's a piece that you wish to be able to create air to create um uh what's the word like waves and um and to be able to actually whisper and often you just simply cannot do that if you want anybody in a hall to hear what you're doing 
so I could take I could take away that whole side of 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 concern and just whisper into the microphone. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because it sort of begs the question, a bit like Indian music, where there are certain pieces of music that they play in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening or, you know, uh, or uh, for a type of weather or something like that. And it is interesting what you've said, because, well, a piece can take on a different dimension if there's an audience there. Mm You know, and you've just given that example um, mm. with with uh, the larks ascending. But funnily enough, you know, I'm I'm a snooker fan. I don't play snooker, but I like to watch snooker. And of course, they had the world championships without uh, spectators there, without the the audience there for most of it. I think until the last to um, the semi-finals and final or something. Yeah. But it was interesting, sort of observing the. The, the snooker players' observations without having an audience there. And for some, mm-hmm. the likes of Ronnie O'Sullivan, you know, he found it amazingly beneficial not to have the audience. In his case, as you mentioned, you know, you've got less things to think about, to balance, you know, less distractions in the nicest mm-hmm. possible way, of course. Yeah. Um, just he could hear the ball, <laughs> you know, interestingly. And... I mean, we're all different, but he could hear the ball. He could hear his thoughts, you know. He could listen to himself. He could feel his heart pumping, but it was just to his rhythm rather than the the rhythm of the audience or by having people there. And it's so interesting that, you know, you've, you've mentioned about really listening to your core self because through the amazing work that you're doing, with the Benedetti Foundation, that's all about listening to people. When you think about it, you know, it's it's listening to, in a way, you're not trying to find the next Nicola Benedetti, but you're listening to what does music mean and the participation of that mean and allowing the connection between the instrument, the individual to come together so that they can make the decision-making and, and listen in ways that perhaps they hadn't realised you know, and I'm just wondering if, you know, this whole experience of lockdown, has it made you listen to yourself, to your instrument, to your music mm-hmm. differently? Has it created a different connection? Has that sort of period of just simply doing normal things, you know, impacted on that? Or do you feel that actually once things get, you know, busy again, you're going to maybe go back to this kind of frenetic listening experience. So yeah, I think our our really it, it's like what we talk about a lot with the foundation. We talk about um, different states of mind when you are not just playing, but when you're practicing, when you're when you're trying to address something that's difficult for you, and how do you capture a part of your mind that has genuine. Um, well, we, we talk a lot about the, the combination of being super relaxed and being super focused and that those two things may seem like if you imagine embodying being relaxed, it's like, oh, so relaxed. If you embody being focused, it's like, oh, I'm focused, like I'm concentrating and I'm sitting forwards and I'm and actually mm-hmm. um, neither should necessarily be either of those states and uh you are most alert when you're com- combining them 
um and and so much of that is like i talk to our students all the time about how much i was told when i was younger that i just didn't hear and so to get yourself into a state where you are just actually listening and absorbing what you hear that is such a large percentage of your ability to learn develop and improve um and to have a meaningful experience um so so that state of mm. mind state of hearing state of of um just your sense of yourself i think is is um quite frighteningly powerful uh and uh, and i yeah i do feel like some parts of that have improved during this period mm. for me um yeah. yeah 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 interesting and then do you feel though um for our young generation whereby technology is almost like an extension mm -hmm. of their limbs um whether this is helping or hindering their listening when it comes to musicians oh it's so fascinating because I, I i don't know about what your experience has been but i've been pleasantly surprised at how how successful the communication has been via technology um regarding music making music listening and music education but at the same time uh i know that there have been quite a few concerns um, that have been confirmed when people have gone back to having live lessons and live experiences about sound production, about um, just levels of attention to detail and um, I guess a kind of self-analysis of how, how you're doing and how you're improving. Um, and I, I, I think maybe more than um, the technology having an impact negatively on how we listen. I think it's, I'm not saying anything new that people don't say all the time, but I think it's that the concern more is, is to just for the sake of it, make it through that hour of focus on one thing. And it does not have to be, um, you know, a life changing hour after which you're going to sound a hundred times better on your mm -hmm. instrument. It, it's that humble, calm, repetitive act of doing something that I think technology, it's not technology itself, obviously, it's the invention of, of the smartphone and so much unbelievably quick and easy access. We have more information and access to high quality information than ever but we cannot see and hear and feel the weight of that information because we simply don't spend long enough with each thing. And um, it's, it's what we could, because we've been teaching so many of these um, mini workshops where we like, for example, we talk about, we say we're putting on a workshop about developing vibrato and mm. what we'll do is yeah, yeah. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have 30 minutes each of those days for three weeks, for example. Um, and what a lot of the task for us who are teaching the workshops, um, our biggest task is to um, condense information enough and clarify the information enough so that the actual point and weight of each bit of information is absorbed and is felt and is clear. 
sorry, I'm just going on all sorts yeah. of different. <laughs> and that's no, no, but that's so, so interesting because when I've watched um, all of the, the extraordinary work that the Benedetti Foundation is doing, I mean, it, 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 the impact of that, even for a seasoned musician like myself, who's been in, a pro, pro, in the profession a long, long time, is that I get inspired by that. And I think what you've said about, you know, absolutely getting to the core of what you want to achieve and making sure that that quality for teachers and for the participants, you know, is is worthwhile. And it's getting that weight of something that is worthwhile, something that they can then take away for the the, the next period and to really work on and, and to observe themselves and to build on in, in their own way. So it's almost like a, a, a support system that's always there rather than this yeah. is the house and this is the you know how the house will be built well you can build the house but exactly. here's the ingredients as it were and it's yeah and it's absolutely fascinating and I've just so been interested to see this whole vision that you've had um, you know informing the foundation in uh, what the foundation stands for and the impact that it's having. And I hope you do understand that it's not just, you know, for the young players <laughs> or their teachers, which is absolutely crucial, but also, you know, percussionists as oh. well and, and, and older musicians and, and really inspiring that. It really is because in a way we all need to be inspired. And mm. I'm just sort of wondering yeah. where does your inspiration come from? You know, where does that sense of curiosity keep ploughing through? Well, I think um, we are going to definitely quote you um, going forward. We're going to, we're <laughs> going to our, our new motto will be that we give you the ingredients, but you can build your own house. <laughs> I love that so much. It's like we try yeah. to, we try to work out internally with our own little team. Like, how can we try to say that to people? Like, I keep, I always talk about foundational principles that can then be applied to whichever direction you choose yeah. to take it in. We, we try to, like, uh, I think that is the best ever. So if you don't mind, we'll steal your words. <laughs> um, That's no problem. Um, my goodness, I forgot what your question was now. Um, what was the question? Uh, and it's, uh, what was my... What was... <laughs> That's so funny. Um, uh, the, oh, my inspiration. Yeah, where, where does your yes. curio? Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, yeah. well, I, I, um, I think, I think that, um, I mean, I think the amount of open sharing conversation that's been going on these last couple of months has been incredible because it's allowed you to have confirmed that the thing you know is true, but we always forget in moments of insecurity we are convinced that everyone else is just so confident and fine and never has a bad day and everything is just wonderful and they never struggle with anything they can just do stuff and why is it only me that finds it difficult and all of this nonsense you convince yourself of and um I think just to have so much open dialogue I mean we, we've been um putting on a lot of classes on performance anxiety which is just a broad name for all sorts of experiences people have based on fear or insecurity and and feeling under pressure and the attendance has been through the roof and just the 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 um insight and conf uh, not confidence but bravery of people to share 
what they go through I think is incredible and um and honestly I would say that the vast majority of my inspiration over the last few months has been from teachers um because of just how just their relentless and often completely thankless you know um just dedication behind the scenes work preparation how seriously they're taking everything and um, just the the level of of good teaching and how under the radar so much of their work is um i've been massively inspired by that um but uh, i i was never somebody that um was looking at other violinists and thinking i've got to be like that or that's that will change who i am or um i never sort of looked to my instrument necessarily as as that like i would look to inspirational figures outside of outside of music actually and um and i think th- those those characters of people that you know they know awful truths about what people are capable of and they still maintain a ridiculous amount of hope that allows them to carry out good work for other people um and just those people that manage to ride those two things is um, always a source of inspiration to me um and and people I don't know if if um if this like if you can relate to this feeling but um with like my dad is a really outlandish character um I think I think maybe you met him <laughs> back in the day yeah I yeah. think I've met him once um, or twice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. back in the early um, days so he's sure. a very loud character with like often at dinner tables or or you know in in company <laughs> would say outrageous things and my mom would always be sitting there going like oh my goodness how can you say that and like telling him off and all this kind of stuff um and actually and of course as any teenager or young person I would be so embarrassed and I would think oh my goodness what are people gonna think my dad said this and my dad said that and as time has moved on I think I I'm just more I'm more grateful with time for those people who have an absolute integrity with who they are and have integrity with what they believe and they're willing to withstand the consequences, which can be really severe. I mean, if you're saying stuff that a lot of people don't agree with and you put it out there in the world, Mm. um, the backlash can be intense. And I think just the bravery of those characters that, that, um, you know, just have that backbone to be able to do that. I think I, I as I grow older, I kind of, I appreciate those characters more and more. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting because I suppose, I mean, what, what I find very, uh, um, as an observation in, in your own journey, and I mean, we've shared a few platforms as younger musicians. I mean, I remember yeah. when you led uh, the National Youth Orchestra of Scotland, for example, and it was amazing that the power of that kind of collective of young musicians and that sheer, I mean, you talked about focus, yeah. but you know, that focus, the energy, the wanting, the, you know, the reaching out, the pushing of the boundaries and all of that, and that, obviously has to come from the young individuals, but the support Mm. system um, that the audience doesn't see is just equally as powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what you're igniting with the Benedetti Foundation is the importance and the respect that of everything that goes on behind the scenes. And I think what's interesting about you is that you've got your feet completely and utterly 
on the ground because if anybody could be, you know, hoity-toity or, oh, I've got no time for this or that, you know, it, it would be yourself. But actually, it's so crucial as part of the listening and part of the analysing of yourself as the sound creator, as the musician, as the violinist, you know, there has to be this sort of ability to weed your own garden, as it were, to sort of wake up the next day and, and think, right, well, you know, I need to sort this out, I need to sort that out, nobody else will, you have to do it yourself. And I suppose the responsibility and trust that you're giving to the young people, um, it, you know, through the support system that you've built with the foundation is absolutely, you know, terrific to see that. And I think as, as education is being cut back in the schools for music, this is an absolute lifeline. Um, well, Laura Gardner, who runs our foundation, I've known since I was four. Uh, we, we studied Suzuki violin together um, and she still has a number of students herself and has been a primary school teacher for years, has been a violin teacher for more years and is the embodiment of what you're saying, you know, that absolutely first-hand knowledge that respects the groundwork that is done and often very quietly behind the scenes um people doing an unbelievable job and sacrificing so much for the sake of their students and mm. that kind of work is done all over the the country and mm. um i think if you don't have an immediate and consistent tab on that and view on that then it's very difficult to be trying in any way even with the best of intentions to represent that world and it's something that um i think we see so often you know really well-meaning initiatives that are um kind of thrown out that that are 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 intended to kind of galvanize but it's what we say about our politicians all the time without a true actual understanding that you cannot just pick up through, you know, appearing at a town hall once a year and hearing people's real questions. You know, it does not work like that. It has to be a consistent thing. You have to develop relationships and friendships with those people that you're trying to, um, you know, bring support towards and you're trying to help in some way. And um, we, I mean, I definitely don't always get mm. it right at all um, because I do obviously always, I do obviously also play concerts and tour and that's very consuming in itself also. But um, we definitely do try our hardest to, to, to act with as much integrity um, as possible, especially with dealing with, with teachers. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we just, just keep trying mm. to improve it. Um, in, a, in a constant Absolutely. basis. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, the success of anything, you know, happens as a team, but yet there has to be that leader, I suppose, to, um, you know, instigate that vision, to ask questions, to push those boundaries. And do you see yourself as a natural leader, a, natu a natural um uh, what's the word? I don't know, but but someone who, right, come on, folks, let's let's see what we can do um, here. Well, I, I think, yeah, I think I think galvanizing is probably one of the few skills that I'm really happy to say I'm quite good at. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I like, think so. No, no, but like, like um, I, I guess maybe other things that are more like specifically named, people would maybe um, associate me with something like playing the violin, for example. But um, yeah. I think the specific skill of enthusing people, rounding them up, bringing people together, saying like, come on, let's do this. And hopefully yeah. like one of our foundational principles is to recognize what is an individual's strength and that may not be the same thing as what they think their strength is and it may not be the same thing as the thing that they want to spend their time doing but I feel like it's our job to recognize a specific strength and say to that teacher to that yeah. educator to that student or person do you understand how great you are at this thing don't run away from your strengths and um and i think through that belief and the belief that every single tutor every single child has such an individual voice to bring to the conversation and that that's what we want to see we don't want to create more army type musicians like we don't need that there's orchestras you know and there's orchestras all over the world that can play yeah. All nine Beethoven symphonies literally note perfect without a single misstep. You know, I feel like that has been proven for our younger people and for, for adult learners as well. People that, that whole amateur musician uh, relationship to music, which is just sort of, you know, the love is so overwhelming and that... To, to, for that entire body of people so those that are not you know I mean I would I personally would um be working towards it seeping onto the professional stage too but if we're starting with you know everybody to the age of 18 and then people that maybe go on to do other jobs but keep playing that their relationship to music is one that is so bold and yes fierce and and full of um, just a kind of visceral rea reaction and excitement towards music. Uh, I, I want to, yeah, I want to, to embolden that and the, the individuality in people. And, and I think you have a better chance of pulling more people together if you can say, this is what I bring and what's good for us. This is what we think you bring and what's good for you. And you kind of enter into a partnership that everybody understands what the common purpose is. And, and, the, and the, I, I think the, the, the message and the potency of the, the educating is, mm. is, um, is intensified if you have that kind of uh, sense of ownership and participation from everybody mm. involved. Mm, that's really interesting. And I suppose really, um, and I've just realised that I start every sentence with, I suppose. <laughs> I didn't realise that at all. <laughs> Good. But um, anyway, you know, considering that you went at a young age to the Menuhin School, and of course that is a situation where you're um, in the environment of excellence, of, you, you know, the, 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 the pushing of young people because they're extremely talented um, and it has that music emphasis obviously I mean it's quite remarkable that you've taken the the very bold step of thinking well hold on a second 
music is for everybody and we have to try to give our young people that chance and to to feed not only our young folk but also the teachers as well and to push their boundaries and so in a way we kind of see an environment like a specialized music school where it is all about being excellent and reaching a pinnacle of playing um, but yet you've reached out and said well it, it it belongs to us all we all have permission to touch music mm. you know to be um to, to, to yes we all have a, a, a we can all taste music we can smell music we can you know just ignite our senses with with music mm. i suppose and it's interesting that that you've you've you know created this landscape where it is for all people yeah i know it is uh it's it's funny i i've been asked a lot um uh are you just are you trying to give to people what was given to you and i'm i'm often thinking <laughs> no <laughs> i'm <laughs> i'm not because um you know th there's a very small percentage of people that would appreciate and enjoy um uh, the intensity of the experience of the Yehudi Menuhin School, it's, that's absolutely yeah. not for everyone. And I think I would be crazy to be trying to recreate that. But it's so interesting that you've drawn the connection and the differences between um, the ethos mm -hmm. of my foundation now and, and that of the Yehudi Menuhin School. And needless to say, there is a need and a capacity and plenty of room for all of these ideals. And those who excel and are exceptional in their instrument, they need the um, the intensity of of uh, a school like the Yehudi Menuhin School to really to really excel. But I think I've I've thought a lot about the whole nation playing violin or playing any instrument, and I actually don't really think that would look the the number of people that learn to play instruments with less than than good teaching currently is already very high and it results in a lot of people stopping to play after six months or two months they don't even see it through to the end of the year um so yeah. uh i i don't think i i also think that there are that playing instruments have has such a physical component to it that can be extrovert but also and with something like the violin it's it's so so small the movements and so you know and yeah. and um so, there's so much subtlety to it that it just can't and won't be for everyone you know it's just not going to be and 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 you just you only have to to live in the life of a violinist where you meet people I don't know in a cafe or what at airport whatever and 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 you say you play violin and like 50% of people sure. will say oh my goodness I tried learning for three weeks and it was impossible and painful and I was awful and I gave up or the same thing with their sibling or <laughs> um you know daughter or son or whatever yeah. um and I, I think um but this is all just to say that our belief is kind of twofold those who do have the opportunity to play instruments their priorities i feel could be shifted slightly um if your path is not to go to beauty manual school or go to the royal college or um you're like desperate to be a really great um instrumentalist and you're very ambitious about that and you practice hours a day if that's not your path then i would say that your experience to music could be um, the 
the focus on freedom, on expression, on breath, on your relationship to your entire physicality, um, on understanding how music is made up and developing a fascination to that that is much more innate and, and human than so theoretical and, and dry and impossible to connect feeling to. I mean, we're talking about music and we're not talking about, you know, trying to like pass some ridiculously difficult exam when you're 18 in music. We're talking about it. It should be an experiential thing that is healthful and that that impacts your whole senses, like you said. Um, and, And I think that um, all of that part of what it is to have a high level music education could be so much better than it is and could be prioritized so much better than it is and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that because I'm not seeing it done I'm saying it because I'm seeing it done by not enough people and I see how amazing it is when it's done and Mm -hmm. and that type of thing I could see being available not through instruments but through song dance movement rhythm I, I could see that being available to a really high standard to every single child in the whole country so that was a massive rant but yeah and I mean I could go on and on forever you know um just chatting with you but but one little observation there was that um and I remember you saying at some point um whereby when you were starting off with your career, you know, as a, 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 in your late teens, early 20s, when you were giving major, major concerts and things were beginning to be reviewed in papers and so on. And, and, uh, and you felt yourself being a really good violinist, a really good musician, but inside you actually felt, no, I'm a, 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 an extraordinary violinist and I have something major to say musically. And but yet reviews and things like that was sort of comparing this or comparing that or, you know, the, the we've all had negative reviews, we've all had positive reviews and we, we have our own opinions of all of that. But what you did, which I think was so crucial, was that you observed that, but you listened to yourself. So you kept that gut instinct and found that key to to thinking, well, what is it? that is going to sort of unleash this, you know, I always remember someone saying, well, we all open our parcels at different times. We've all got a parcel to open, but we open them at different times. And that's really, really fascinating. So you can Mm. never say, no, you will never be able to do that, or no, you can't do that. But actually, we all have an avenue that, that, you know, swims its way um, you know, to what we want. And it's so fascinating when you're saying, well, look, you know, there are so many avenues to projecting music. You know, there really, there really are. And, and for you to address that through and, and to express that through um, different art forms is really mm. interesting or to, to feel that it can be addressed in different art mm. forms. So Absolutely. Um, I just, yeah, thanks for saying that because that's very important because it can put a lot of people off by thinking they don't, they may not have the technique or they may not. Well, actually, what is technique? It's saying what you want to say. 
Um, but yeah, anyway. no, no, absolutely, <laughs> and it's and that's not a journey that ever um, comes to a close, you know, and and mm. uh, that is like it's a constant reevaluation of what is your priority. Like you said already, like the readdressing of a fundamental question of what is music and what is its purpose and what is mm. its power and. And um, yeah, I mean, you you were putting that very um, politely about being a good violinist and knowing I could be extraordinary. That's not perhaps not how I felt. And also, some you know, a lot of those reviews for a good period of time were incredibly harsh, and and a, a lot of them I um, I sympathised with and agreed with. And and to like you're saying that feeling of trying to um, identify what is your path uh, mm. out of such a kind of what felt like an avalanche of like you don't belong in this position it was the weirdest thing because it was sort of everybody was saying that but then kept asking me to be in that position in, in it was like the, stra the strangest yeah. thing um, um so a lot of yeah a lot of internal reckoning and um and I think just that I mean it's it's to have someone as young as possible start to address what am I, why am I different to everybody else and how can I just be at peace with that and use that as opposed to try to fight against it all the time and yeah mm. it's um it's I think mm. it's a it's a lifetime of of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I hope, you know, I, you've filled so many lifetimes with, with the, the incredible work and dedication and focus with great relaxation <laughs> and great grace and all of that, Nikki. And I just want to say thank you very much for everything you're doing. And thank you for giving this time, because I know that it's still a, a, an extremely busy period for you and um and i'm hugely grateful and can i just say that i'd actually typed out a load of questions oh. to ask you and i haven't asked a single one of them on this piece of those, those are those are the best interviews when you just get oh. uh, get um uh into a conversation no honestly i have just oh. loved every second of having the opportunity to to speak with you um Thank needless you. to say um you know been such a fan of yours since the first time i heard of you and so uh, everyone that i work around oh, they're really? so excited that i'm doing this interview <laughs> so um, <laughs> um no it's just well but anyway thank you so much for having that's me. brilliant no no problem at all thanks nikki so there we go. This is there's the most ridiculous amounts of police out there. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> um, That's all right. Outside your house. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They're not. They're not anything to do with me. Um, <laughs> out with it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Own up. <laughs> I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you in my next one. <laughs>